Hello and welcome to episode three of We Could Be Euros, brought to you by JPI Media and National World. I'm your host, James Copley of the Sunland Echo, and I'm also joined today by Joe Cran, Sheffield Wednesday writer for The Star, and his boss, assistant editor Chris Holt. Completing today's lineup is Scotsman and Edinburgh Evening News football writer Joel Sked. Uh, so for those of you who are unaware, in the blue corner we have Joel, a Scotland supporter, and in the red corner we have an England fan in Joe. But keeping the peace during today's bout and providing a bit of balance is Chris from Northern Ireland. So gentlemen, how are we all today? All good, thank you. All good. Good. It's the first time Scotland and England have played each other in a major tournament since that game in 1996. The sun is shining, football is back and the pubs are open. Normality is gradually returning. Uh, these are definitely exciting times to have an interest in this match. Joel, we'll start with you up in Scotland. How are you feeling ahead of the big game on Friday? Will it be revenge or repeat in London? And what is the mood like in Scotland following the 2-0 loss to the Czech Republic? To be fair, I've been struggling to remember uh, the Euro 96 clash because ITV and BBC have not really mentioned it. Yeah, maybe give, give another maybe 24 hours and I'll, I'll remember what happened back in uh, back in Euro 96. It's, it's been a weird, weird week. So the, um, the, the, the game on Monday was a huge disappointment, a huge anticlimax. And... <sighs> Few, um, I would call them pessimists or realists. Uh, I've spoken to them. They're like, you know, that's that's that. That's the, that's us done. But as the games got as the games get, get drawn nearer, thinking, oh, there's a bit more excitement. Just seeing uh, a few mates are we down to London, seeing all the videos of Scotland fans arriving at the train station or heading there in London or heading down to London. Uh, the excitement started to uh, started to increase once more. So I am I'm very very intrigued to get to what will what will it be half six tomorrow uh, 6 30 p.m when the teams teams get announced and to see what Steve Clark has has went, has gone for and whether Kieran Tierney plays or not so what what is the update on on Kieran Tierney at the moment because Steve Clark had something to say about him in the week didn't he where do we stand on Kieran Tierney such a big player for Scotland he was back I uh, believe back in training today so he's I think he's been training all the time but it's just been kind of really light workload. Uh, he's been involved in the warm up, and then today I think he was I think he was a bit more involved. So, uh, which gives uh, which, which suggests that he will be uh, be ready to go tomorrow night. Another interesting uh, narrative surrounding the Scotland game is obviously David Marshall. Steve Clark came out and backed him again. I know you had a a few words to say about uh, David Marshall and the competition of Craig Gordon before the tournament. What did you make of? of Schick's second goal and, and you know, that, that debate. Steve Clark came out and backed him, but it's um it's an interesting one, isn't it, Joel? Yeah, I I I think I think Steve Clark will stick with Marshall. Uh I, I, I don't want to go over old grounds. I just I just think Gordon's a better goalkeeper for those big moments. I don't think he'll let you down the way that Marshall perhaps has or certainly could the the, the goal itself you just can't legislate for someone hitting such a such a fine shot, such a such a distance. But at the same time, you're like, why are you so so far out your out your goal? It's, it's it was it was a bit bonkers. And it, you know what that that goal, looking at it at the moment, that second goal could really hurt us in terms of trying to finish third, and it could come down to goal difference. Uh, so yeah, I. Uh, not I'm not in a position of uh, saying I told you so, but uh, <laughs> I'm on on the cusp. 
and, and Chris, as a as a neutral, how are you um how are you seeing the game against uh, between England and Scotland at Wembley on uh, Friday? It's a it's a big one. It, it feels like we're on the cusp of another iconic moment, doesn't it? Yeah, it kind of does. I I I think it's it's good for me because I can just sit back and enjoy it without having any nerves or or you know over over excitement or anything like that. But it it does it does it does feel like I mean. We we touched on Euro '96 there. It, it kind of has that bit of a feeling about it, and maybe not quite as much just because of the, you know, the restrictions that we're still under to a certain extent. And there's it doesn't doesn't feel yet like there's quite as much of a buzz about the place. But I think that might change tomorrow, uh, once people get out of work and and kind of start heading to the pubs and things like that. But yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it. I think I honestly do think it's going to be a really good game, a really a really open game. Um, obviously Scotland you really have to go for it now. There's no, there's no doubt about that. And I think um, I actually think they can probably get at England a little bit. Um, while I do think that England will probably win, I, I could see there being a lot of goals in this match. I just have that feeling of, you know, similar to one of the times before, you know, at Wembley um, when Scotland played England, I can see it being three two or. Certainly, certainly won't be nil nil or won by the odd by one nil. I think anyway. And Joe, our our resident England correspondent, how are you feeling before the game? I see England fans sort of fall into two camps on Twitter. There's the there's the overly confident that think that you know Scotland will be easily brushed brushed past, and there's the the sort of self deprecating England fan who um, believes it might not be too easy. Uh, where do you stand on it? Uh, the risk has sounded a bit boring. I, I do kind of find myself in the middle. I, I, I'm a lot more at ease with this group having beaten Croatia, to be honest. I, after that Croatia win, I kind of go, well, we've got three points against the, you know, the team that was meant to give us the biggest, the biggest hassle. Uh, so whatever happens after that happens. And I think that um, the the Croatia game was a, a bit of a victory for Gareth Southgate as much as anybody else. You know, he, when he picked... Calvin Phillips to start, when you picked Tyrone Mings to start, there was a couple of, uh, well, I say a couple, there was a few people um, saying, yeah, he's the wrong choice, he's done the wrong thing, but he completely sort of justified those selections, Raheem Sterling as well. And uh, now I'm, I'm hoping that because we've got that that win against Croatia, that he'll possibly go a little bit more attacking and a bit more free-flowing against Scotland. And I, I agree with Chris, I think it's going to be a game with, with a fair few goals in it. Would you anticipate any sort of changes in formation or personnel? Obviously, you had Trippier played left-back. Could we still see Chilwell or Shaw come in? Jack Grealish is, is one who's always on the, the lips of England fans. He didn't come on. Do we anticipate he could be used at some point? I, I would be, unless he's injured, I know he missed a training session yesterday. I would be surprised if, if Jack Grealish didn't play at least some part in this game. I think it's, in some ways, it's the perfect game for him, you know, because of the way that he plays and because of the sort of, sort of uh, the way he he's been given this sort of Gaza tag and you know this that the, the excitement to his game I think it is a perfect game to sort of throw him in and, and let him do his thing I, I'd be interested to see if he still goes with a double pivot you know I think uh, against Croatia that was necessary you know having the two holding midfielders obviously Calvin Phillips was playing a little bit more further forward than he's possibly used to but I'm not sure that's necessary against against Scotland in a game where um as has been mentioned, they're going to have to go for it. You know, there's there's going to be no sort of sitting back and, and biding the time for Scotland. They've got to really go for it in this game. And I think with that in mind, 
there's possibly an option to to switch to a back three and have a, have a little bit more attacking um, zeal in the squad, so to speak. A lot's been said, Joel, about uh, Gareth Southgate's tactics and, and Joel mentioned in their vindication for him in the Croatia game. Steve Clark's a very good manager, managed to guide Scotland to this major tournament. Does he have it in him in terms of out-tacticking Gareth Southgate and also bridging that slight quality gap that England have over Scotland? The the, the two managers, I've, I've always full of belief that yeah, Steve Clark is the better manager. What's perhaps been his downfall is a mixture of loyalty and, and, and stubbornness. And I think that that can sometimes be, be really good. I think it uh, could potentially have hurt Scotland on, on Monday. And I actually disagree with Joe. I don't think Scotland necessarily have to go for it. I think they would, I think if offered, everyone would take a point going into the final game and then just like, right, okay, we need to beat, beat Croatia. So I, I wouldn't be surprised if, uh, I, sorry, I would be very surprised if Scotland came down to Wembley and were like, right, we need to have a goal. We opened up. I think, Clark will try to make it as stuffy as possible um, and well certainly to begin with as I, I think they'll uh, I think they'll make it make it really difficult and uh, maybe open up if things get bad and Chris Joe mentioned there about um, the shackles coming off and, and Gareth Southgate playing a bit more free-flowing attacking football he didn't do that against Croatia Joe mentioned there with a the double pivot Phillips in there as well. It was it was necessary. Uh, as a neutral, with the embarrassment of riches that England have, it would be nice to see them to see them open up and go for it and to see, you know, Ford and Sterling, Rashford, Kane, whichever variation, Grealish coming off the bench to see some some really positive football from England. Yeah. I mean, we we in the star last week picked our our starting eleven, our, our ideal starting eleven. And mine was the most um tactically inept. <laughs> In attacking team that could basically just put all all the luxury players in there. Um, but I would love to see that. I, I just think that England have got so many really exciting young players at the minute that you, you would just want to see them all going, just going at it and really going for it and see and seeing what they can do. I understand, you know, there's a lot, there's obviously a lot of stake and there's a bit of pragmatism needed, and especially in such a big game with so much at stake in terms of. You know, obviously the the, the rivalry and, and stuff like that, but I, I, I really would like to see. I think I, I agree with Joe. I would really like to see Grealish. I think that if he doesn't start, I would like to see him at least get a good half hour. I think if the match is tight, then he's just got he's just got the ability to just completely open up the match completely on. And and as well as that, I, I just feel like. You get Grealish on the ball, the one thing you are guaranteed is to get a free kick, probably a free kick every other minute. And and England are quite good at set plays, or certainly they should be anyway. So I think that's a real promising route to goal. And if it, like I say, if it is tight, if you bring on Grealish with, with 20 minutes to go at least, and just run at them, win free kicks in dangerous areas, and, and just, you know, if, if they haven't got a goal by any other means, then then let's set pieces be the way to do it. It's interesting though, Chris, that, that the strength of character Gareth Southgate shown over this England team and, and selection particularly, because there's been definitely a clamour for the likes of Grealish and, and you know for different personnel to be used. He's really stuck to his guns and it, I suppose it's all credit to him as well, given the result against Croatia. Yeah, you have to give him credit. I mean, I still, even though they won the match, 
I'm not entirely sure he was vindicated in playing a right back at, at left back when you've got two very good left backs in the team. Um, I think the fact that they won kind of glossed over that a little bit and the fact that Croatia were, I say a little bit, that they were, they were very disappointed in my, in my view. So I, I wouldn't give him too much credit. Certainly, you know, they, they won the game. He deserves, he deserves credit for that. But I wouldn't kind of be putting up flags with his face on it all across the street just because they won. But I, I still think at this to this day, it was absolute madness when you've got really good young players. I think Chilwell's a superb player. Liam Shaw, very good as well. And then to go and play Trippier just because he likes him, I, I just thought it was madness. So I would like to see him decide that Yes, I do have favourites. There are players that I can trust. But to just let other people win that trust as well, let other players get the opportunity to, to nail themselves down because they, the, the form that they've shown for their clubs have shown that they deserve to have a go rather than have you know, square pegs and round holes put in just for the sake, just for the sake of a bit more experience or a bit more, um, um, I guess, trust again. Is is this a bit typical England, Joel? That the sort of the debate and the narrative surrounding England, a one 0 win over, you could say, an aging Croatia side when England have an embarrassment of riches and the um, they've gone a bit nuts south of the border. Is, is that how you feel about this? I, I, honestly, I was I watched the game on I watched the game on Sunday, fell asleep in the second half, <laughs> uh, and woke up and I could not believe the. The positivity from Sir Ferdinand and Lampard on the BBC coverage. I, I, I mean, got to say, Croatia, yeah, aging. I mean, they've still got good players, but they didn't impress me at all on on, on Sunday. It's England and and bits and kind of fits and starts during ninety minutes. They they look good. Foden, Foden really, uh, Foden really impressed me. He's Sterling, was was excellent. Uh, Calvin uh, Phillips, I really enjoyed him from from Leeds uh, playing at Leeds, and he was he was really impressive as like a as a kind of cohesive unit. That when you compare it to France against Germany or across the two games, then it wasn't overly impressed. I mean, yeah, going into it, England, they've got uh, a lot more star quality and throughout the team than than, than Scotland too. But there's the but there's nothing that really that, that really. Uh, made me go, oh, oh uh, I'm really scared. Then again, uh, that was before Scotland played on the uh, on the Monday and were uh, picked off quite easily by uh, by the Czech Republic. But no, I, I some of I was I was kind of thinking when uh, the uh, when the um, the pundits were talking, it's like I think you temper your expectation a wee bit because I heard um, I think it was Clive Totally on the commentary for France Germany, and he asked uh, Ali McCoy, like, "Oh, there's there's nothing here, uh, nothing for uh, England to fear that much in France." It's like France were toying with Germany and could go up uh, up a few years. So no, uh, yeah, the um, the uh, the the confidence I would I would say is probably misplaced at the moment. Yeah. The- the, the BBC of and, and pundits generally have come in for a little bit of stick for uh, for showing an interview with two England players at half time in the Wales Turkey game yesterday, which as a Wales fan wasn't uh, wasn't too greatly appreciated. But Joe, just to, just to nail back in on England, it's uh, an extremely talented group of players, and there's something almost dare I say it, a little a little bit more likable about this group of players in terms of Henderson and, and Rashford and, and the culture around the team. I don't know if Joel would agree with that as well, but we'll, we'll go to Joe first. 
I've not felt myself, obviously, I don't support England, but I've not felt myself enjoying watching this group of players grow as much as I have over the past couple of years. Yeah, I think, you know, for me, the one of the, I think I mentioned it in the last podcast we did that one of Gareth Southgate's biggest achievements in this England set in, in the England setup is making this sort of forming this side that is so incredibly likable. You know, you you look at the the squad there and for me I it's almost to the point where whoever starts, I'm like, yeah, I'm all right with that. That's fine. Um I don't there's nobody there that I dislike, there's nobody there that I wouldn't want to see play. Um going to what Joel was saying, I do think that, you know, English people when it comes to the football it's just it's they get carried away so easily. I mean, I I was watching it in a bar, um, and I thought at the end of it, I was like, yeah, we we deserve to win that game, you know, decent enough performance. But then I, I watched the France game, and I watched Italy play, and I know that the opponents are probably slightly worse from an Italy perspective, but they just look um, they just look so dangerous, and I'm not sure that you know based on the first game, obviously, um, I'm not sure England looked like they had that kind of danger level there. Um, but for me, it's a it's a case with this England side of looking at this group of players, and I think I'm, I, this, I might be wrong, but I think it's the first time there's been a full England squad where every single player is younger than me, um, and that's quite a miserable thought. Um, but the, the the plus side of that is that these these have all got two or three tournaments in them. You know, aside from I think three or four players, uh, this is an England group that if they are used properly and if they've you know if they gel properly together, then this could just be the start. Uh, and I think that the fact that there's so much, uh, you know, pressure on them already from certain parts of the media and from certain fans, that it's like make or break to win this tournament. It's just a little bit, yeah, it's a little bit bit mad for me that we've already got to that point when when I think the average age of the squad's about 24, 25. Yeah, so ahead of the game on, on Friday, we're doing a slightly shorter pod today, but we'll also be covering the England-Scotland game on the Saturday after the game as well. So look out for a podcast there. I'll quickly go around and get our predictions for the game, starting with Chris. How do you see it going at Wembley on Friday evening? Um, I'm going to go 6-5 uh, to England. Um, <laughs> uh, no, I, 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 that would be mad because I don't think Scotland will score five goals in five tournaments. Um <laughs> That 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 is a big issue. I, I know I said I'm expecting goals. I I think maybe three two three two England. I, I, I'm going to contradict myself on what I already say because now that I think about it, I'm not entirely sure where Scotland are going to get two goals from. But um, yeah, I'll stick with that. Why not? Joel, your prediction for the big game. So I, I, a lot comes down to team selection. So Steve Clark has to play Chi Adams. That was there's been a lot of a lot of debate around the goalkeepers. A lot of debate around Stephen O'Donnell. A lot of debate about around Billy Gilmore. But he chose Lyndon Dykes as the lone striker ahead of Chi Adams, which is just absolutely bonkers. I think probably the the, the worst decision. He has to start, and that gives Scotland a lot more potency and attack and it, it makes makes things a lot more refined and joined up in the final third. Uh Kieran Tierney playing as again as another massive uh a, a massive uh, boost. Um I'd like to I'd like to think Scott will we'll, we'll, we'll nick a point. You know what? Yeah, let, let's let's go for, let's go for let's go for one one. Joe, how are you saying it? I'm I'm thinking a, a two nil, uh, one of those where 
England make it really difficult for themselves. Um, they grab a goal, should have, you know, should have wrapped the game up and then maybe finish the job late on when when Scotland get tired and they're pushing for it. But yeah, I I, I do see England winning, but I, I don't think it's going to be anywhere near as as easy as what some England fans seem to think it's going to be. I haven't made a prediction yet on this podcast, so now seems like a good time to start. I'm going to go one 0 Scotland. So since nobody else has picked them to win, I'm going to I'm going to put my neck out on the line. They'll they'll just edge it. But anyway, gentlemen, thank you very much for for joining me. As I say, we'll be back on Saturday with a, a full comprehensive review of that game, whatever happens. And thank you for listening again to episode three of the We Could Be Euros podcast. We Can Be Euros is bringing you a light-hearted look at all of the action across this summer's tournament. This series is produced by JPI Media and this episode was hosted by me, James Copley, football writer for the Sunderland Echo. This week's show featured Joe Cran and Chris Holt of the Sheffield Star, alongside Joel Sked, who writes for the Scotsman and the Edinburgh Evening News. The show was produced by Mark Wilson. Music is provided by Gentleman Jackals. Check them out on Spotify now. You can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and other podcast platforms. Head over to nationalworld.com for your latest Euros news and analysis and follow us on Twitter at National World and on Facebook at National World UK. 